G'day everyone, welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. It's our Friday rec segment again. Uh, we've got John and Jazz here with me. Uh, lots to talk about today, lots to cover today. Um, but gents, how are we doing today? Good? You all look well? Which gent are you talking about? Gents. <laughs> gents. <laughs> uh, yeah, good mate. Hoping this, this crazy lockdown ends and I'll be able to get at least a haircut. You should be in New South Wales because we're opening up on Monday. How do I cross the five kilometer radius though? <laughs> well, apparently <laughs> you get to open the border, right? So you, you basically get to fly, but you can't travel more than five kilometers uh. in Victoria. <laughs> so I don't know how that works. Anyway, Five kilometers exponentially will do. That means <laughs> I can travel around the world. <laughs> that could be a solution. Hey, John, how are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. I'm, I'm even better since uh, I took the Zoom special effects off that uh, had me wearing purple lipstick uh, up until a couple of minutes ago. So that, that look, you take the wins where you can when you're, when you're in lockdown. We're expecting masquerade next time. Right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> hey, whatever Zoom can do. I, I did get seduced, John, though. I know, I know. It's very, very uh, it's sign of arousal uh, there, those purple lips. The hottest spies agent that can get you the hottest property. That'd be the slogan coming out, mate, for Bridge to Bricks, that's for sure. So, all right, mate, we've got lots to talk about today, so we'll jump right in. Um, I guess the biggest news in the town this week is everyone's been talking about APRA. The regulators have now um, actually increased the floor rate or asking the banks to increase the floor rate, um, or sorry, the assessment rate with plus another two point, uh, plus another 0.5%. So right now, um, to give everyone a bit of context, what happens now is your the banks assess it on the basis of your actual interest rate now plus 2.5% buffer. That's how they calculate your repayment. But under APRA's direction, you will you will now be assessed on um, your actual interest rate plus potentially a three percent. Uh, increase on that. So that's to say, for example, you got a home loan of 2.5%. Um, how the lender calculates is they, they calculate your repayment based on the 25 plus 2.5 or 5% interest rate. So that's your repayment that they are going to use to calculate your borrowing capacity. But moving forward, that will be a 2.5% plus 3% buffer. So in other words, you'll be assessed at a 5.5% instead. Okay. So what does that translate to? Um, I guess if I put my broker's hat on, uh, just as a high level, about five percent decrease in terms of your, in terms of people's borrowing capacity. So it's a fairly soft, fairly soft and modest changes, in my opinion. Uh, you know, they, they certainly haven't touched the DTI cap, which a lot of people were thinking, and that's going to have a huge, drastic effect instead. But um, yeah, look, it, it's it might be just the first step of many, so we'll see. But right now. Uh, that's what's being announced this week. And uh, yeah, I'm sure Jazzy would have got a lot of people asking you, what does that impact and how does that impact me, right? So what do you think? Uh, look, man, uh, this was, we saw this coming. I think we did, did discuss yeah. this uh, in the last few weeks that there was talk about it. And it's funny how RBA, I think sometimes it feels like RBA itself is confused whether they should be incorporating housing into their macro policy or not. Because um, yeah. I remember in the past, they didn't mention about that housing is not their main concern. And now they are worried about a systematic risk that housing poses, poses to the overall economy. Uh, however, anyways, long story short, um, APRA is trying to intervene once again uh, using their tools, such as uh, what you mentioned before, increasing the assessment criteria. So no surprises over there, uh, it was going to happen. 
we knew that we saw that coming in terms of what it means for the property prices uh look what we said pretty much we said last week again the same thing uh repeating the same drum um just the growth will slow a bit but it's still going to keep going up overall yeah yeah look i agree I, you know there's an article in the afr today which says that the heading is it's an opinion piece and it's called apra tries psychology to keep house prices sane and and they're making the same point as you guys are this it's not actually a big um mathematical change you know like it's the half a percent's not a big difference but it, it it is a signal that you know they're trying to rein it in um so i think you know if we go from 20 to eight percent growth per annum on the basis of these you know i think that the um apra and the rba would be would be fine with that and i think that that's the sort of thing that we're talking about so it'll certainly decelerate uh house prices um, what I think it will also do, but but I, I don't think the impact will be immediate. What what I think will happen is that there's going to be a rush to buy properties while finance is approved between now and Christmas, and I don't think we're going to see the softening until after Christmas. And because we're in October already, so that you know, people, if if you've got say three months left on your finance approval, uh, I, I suspect that that's all going to be sort of rushed through, you, you know, before Christmas. Um, so I don't think it's a big a big difference. And I think you're right, David, 5% is probably the impact. Um, and in a hot market, I suppose that's not, that's sort of impacting things on the edges. My personal view, though, if I take a, you know, you come here for the macro, I suppose, listeners. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're, I always have a problem when regulation does the job of price signals. So in a free market, prices are generated from supply and demand and, and that's telling us, and prices give signals. It tells us how scarce something is. And interest rate is a price that tells us how scarce credit is. Now, the APRA shouldn't need to regulate except that the interest rate isn't a true price signal anymore. So I would much rather the interest rate tell the truth than a regulator have to come in. And the unintended consequences of using regulation rather than price signals is that it's always a wealth distribution away from low-income earners to high-income earners because if, if you're making it harder to get uh, loans and only high-income earners can get these loans, you'll find that um, property as an asset class, will, will which used to be sort of the, the remit of the middle class, will ev eventually become the privilege of the few um, because it's so hard to get finance. So, look, I, I never like uh, regulation repl replacing price signals. Mm -hmm. Um, just to add one thing, uh, even though the lending is being, or that there's talks about lending being tightened, um, we shouldn't forget that the borders are opening up. So yeah. there will be demand from the international buyers. Also on top of that, uh, the pent up demand that has been there from this COVID lockdown, uh, domestic the, the domestic pent-up demand, I think together that will still see the prices uh, move up. It's just going to be 30%. That's all. Pretty much what we said last week or the week before, we're repeating the same thing. There's a very strong psychology in the property market at the moment as well that property can't lose. You know, we, we had we had two shutdowns. Essentially, you know, 
um, the lockdowns were like a knee to the groin of the economy, right? Which is a horrible <laughs> metaphor, but but really, really tough, really like a, a stick to the eye, perhaps. Um, everything was shut down, small businesses decimated, and somehow real estate managed uh, to appreciate by 20%. Like this wealth effect, this, this durable, resilient um, uh, performance of real estate. So right now, we've forgotten about 2018 when property prices went down by 15%. We're in this very present mindset where even, even when the economy's in the toilet, real estate is a very reliable way to, to make and generate and preserve wealth. So, you know, a, a, a half a percent increase in the assessment rate against a mindset where real estate is going to look after you, which is also, you know, re- relatively reasonable, um, reasonable presumption about property. I think that it, I agree with you, Jazz. I think real estate's going to going to be okay. It's going it's going to keep going up, but just more moderately. Mm-hmm. That's also what I guess the you know the, the 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 RBA and the regulators are trying to find a balance at the moment uh, is the way I'm looking at it. They don't want the property prices to crash because we just got out of a COVID pandemic, and you know we're just New South Wales just about to reopen up. We still need people to have confidence in the economy to be able to spend right, and the, all that wealth effect that you know the RBA has been printing all these money. They don't want to ruin that by you know having a title perhaps on AFR to say property price is about to crash another 30%, again, something like that, right? Like that's that's not going to help anyone. And I think there's also another political reason that's coming up because we've got the election almost coming up as well. Um, you know, they the, this is this is kind of a, 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 an indication, in my personal opinion, to say, hey, we actually try to do something about it. We've done something or we've given instructions for the banks to say, you guys need to do this now. What's going to happen to the property is the property prices, it's now starting to be on us. You know, we've, we've tried, we've tried, right? So it's a bit of an indication there. Um, small political gain to a, to a degree as well is, is also the way I look at it. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, not going to crash anything like that. Not, I, don't, I don't see that happening. And they, the regu- that's not the outcome that the regulators want to see too, but at least more moving towards a mild growth is what everyone is, is saying. Yeah. And remember, this is just the first... Uh, change that is being made to the overall policy, right? It's just not one change that is going to change the direction of the market overall. So uh, I, uh, I think there will be few other things that will have to um, add up together to stop the growth completely. Hopefully yeah. this is the only change from the regulators. I'm kind of putting my my fingers crossed, because if it is, then it's a very mild change, I guess. Yeah. Well, the um, news that you're about to discuss, David, is going to be the next change. So let's maybe jump into that one. <laughs> sorry, John had something to say before. Yeah. No, I'm actually excited to see where we're going to go with this. What I was going to say, and it's not all that important, it's just to pick up on what David said. I think, David, you, you were absolutely spot on about the politics of the, the regulation. I think there's a sense that, you know, in, in a democracy, if, if, um, uh, if you're not participating in the real estate market, you're not participating in economic life. Mm. I think your ability to sort of be an economic player in, in society, I think is sadly tied into whether or not you're a real estate owner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, leaving behind the politics of that is awful. Uh, so they want as many people to participate in real estate as they can, because that's a proxy for economic life. The national sport by the yeah. sounds of it, no, basically, isn't right. it? National sports. 
we, we might see it on Olympics at one point. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Well, we, we, we kick property in wolves like footy balls. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks, John. I, I like the way you put it, mate. It's, you've always managed to get it, get it summarized very, very elegantly. So, which then, uh, and this leads to our next topic as well, which is um, New Zealand. New Zealand has actually uh, raised their cash rate earlier this week. I think it's just around the time when, when the APRA made the announcement, they also made the move. The RBA of New Zealand um, has actually increased their cash rate from 25 basis point to 50 basis point. So 0.25 was, was originally their cash rate. Now they've moved to 0.5. That's an interesting move because, yeah, I don't think anyone around the world or any countries around the world has actually tried to attempt to actually increase the, the interest rate or the cash rate at this point in time. And New Zealand being very aggressive. Um, I think they've always been, we've got a very aggressive counterpart across Australia, I've got to say, <laughs> you know, having limited the investors down to what, 60% uh, lending previously to try to control the prices. And now the first of, I guess, you know, across the nations to actually try to raise their cash rate um, by 25 basis point. Um, I'm interested to know your thoughts about how that's um, how how that's going to impact the New Zealand property prices, and whether Australia is also going to be looking at doing something similar. I won't mention anything about the New Zealand property market because I don't know much. But mm. in terms of the what that means for the Australian property market, generally New Zealand is a good leading indicator of what is about to happen in Australia in near future, right? And with APRA already trying to. Uh, intervene to some extent. Um, I'll not be surprised if we see some kind of a rate rise. However, that's just based on what's happened in the New Zealand. Uh, RBA did repeat in its statement that they don't plan to raise interest rates up until 23-24, but things change very fast. We have seen APRA already starting to jump in. So if just APRA measures are not able to keep a lid or a tap on the uh, property market, I think we may, may see RBA just try and uh, increase rates a little bit, if not a lot. Not a lot, definitely not the case. So maybe just a little bit of rate rise, 0.25. I just, uh, just, just to sort of add some uh, colour to the conversation, I, I just Googled uh, New Zealand property price statistics. So I've got, I've got very high level uh, data at the end of July and um, the New Zealand property market increased an eye-watering 25, over 25% in the 12 months to July 2021. Um, it, the median uh, price for residential property nationwide increased from 660000 830,000 and that that's a 25% increase or over 25% but it's also a gain of 166,000 uh, in the year which has doubled it's more than twice the median income uh, in the country as well so th that that's kind of why they they stepped in um, I have heard that New Zealand's property market's kind of, kind of the hottest on the planet um, which is probably an indication that their monetary policy was the most irresponsible on the planet but I'll leave that for others. Uh, look, uh, what, what does it mean for Australia? Uh, I, 
you know, I think that these are signals that, like the RBA and the New Zealand Bank and and uh, and APRA, I think these are signals that they're giving without meaningfully changing policy settings. I think they're they're giving us signals to that they intend to cool things down. Um, so one of the reasons why interest rates will be the the last lever that the RBA pulls in Australia is because um, the, the government debt is so big at the moment that they are that they're not trying to rein in household debt anymore they're trying to rein they're trying to keep a lid on the the cost of managing government debt and an increase in interest rates is a, a cost to the federal budget whereas APRA regulating house prices doesn't affect the federal budget at all um, so that's why interest rates I don't think Look, they might go up a quarter of a percent, but they're probably not going up until 2023. Uh, and again, there's a there's a cascade of impacts by putting interest rates up because you're putting interest rates up on everyone. And uh, I just don't don't see that. Uh, it's a very blunt instrument, as they say. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you've got to be watchful. I mean, you know, city property prices are up 20%. Yeah. It's not, it's not entirely dissimilar. So they've, they're obviously starting to look at it. I would actually... One thing uh, came to me, the New Zealand, uh, the Bank of New Zealand's remit does include property prices, where whereas the RBA doesn't. It's sort of outside its scope. So maybe that's why they acted. Yeah, that's a slightly different, uh, I guess, system there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A really good point, John. Um, and I also think that because RBA cannot change the interest rate, that's why the regulators need to step in at the moment from controlling from that perspective. It's... You know, typically, we all know that the, the the interest rate determines how hot the property market is, and therefore determines also the property prices to a certain extent. Um, and because they can't really do anything at this point in terms of raising the interest rate, it's not really an option from RBA's perspective. That's why you know APRA have to come in and and well, they have to give APRA a bit of shot and say, hey, you know, help us do this, <laughs> help us put a lid on uh, on on lending, just so that uh, you know, and it's a mild one as well, like what we discussed. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, anything else to add to that? No. Um, no. No. Okay. All right. Um, another piece of news. Well, we've got Australian property market now hitting nine trillion. Jazz, can you remind me again when was seven trillion? It's not that long um, ago. So I just posted a graph in the channel, uh, David. And if you look at it, it's literally, it's, it's literally a hockey stick. Um, so seven trillion more towards. Uh, late 19 yeah and since then we have shot up by another two trillion wow it's uh it's less than two years yep well, almost two years almost two years but yeah like that so this is up to june 21 isn't it so mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow it's uh yeah it's but starting in it's starting in 2018 which was what's the low i suppose but yeah yeah it dropped uh, a bit it dropped a bit between 18 and 19. That was primarily because of the lending restrictions mm. at that time. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the Australian GDP is only worth 1.2 trillion. So that's what yeah. a stunning seven point something times. <laughs> <laughs> what would the Warren Buffett indicator be thinking of that? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when your real estate market's nine times your economy? Uh, that's a good one, John. Um, yeah, look, man, what can we say? I mean, it... It's a hockey stick. It's it's a two trillion in two years. We throw a trillion like there's no tomorrow. Uh, I think that's the reason. Looking at chart like this, I think that's the reason that uh, likes of RBA and APRA are getting concerned a little bit. 
when you see this kind of growth within just two year mark. It is concerning when it's got these type of hockey sticks uh, is because, you know, you want to a degree consistent growth, but not a splurt of growth and, and not crazy growth like this over such a short period of time. And, and one thing to say will be is good part of this growth would actually have happened in the uh, residential market, not in the commercial market, because obviously parts of commercial market did pretty well, mm. but uh, good parts of the commercial market, like the CBD areas and all that stuff, corporate offices, they did suffer quite a lot. So a lot of this growth is actually happening in the residential property market. That's true. That's true. John, have you got any thoughts about <clears throat> this one? In 2018-19, the residential property market was like a beach ball being held under the water by APRA regulations. So the reason that there's this shooting up of property prices now is in a sense, and not entirely, but partially compensation for that period or, or to make up for that period. So uh, plus all the interest rate cuts that have happened in the meantime. So, I mean, um, so I think that looking at looking at hockey sticks without the context of the artificial suppression by APRA back in around that time can be slightly misleading. That said, I, I think it's insane that the... Um, that one asset market would be multiples uh, the size of entire national product. I mean, it seems insane, but we're comparing what's produced with assets, I suppose. And and that's the difference, but uh, yeah. This is a scary looking chart, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. That's all I'll say. <laughs> wonder where it's going to go by the end of the year. So this is this is yeah. only data up to June, right? So yeah. and yeah, we, we we're still seeing some decent growth since then. So you know. Anyway, we'll keep our eye out. Uh, in who, terms who will of, take uh, a, who will take a bet with me that so it bottomed in 2018, some sometime between 2018 and 19, which was around 6.6 trillion. Mm. By end of next year, uh, we would have doubled from that number. So we'll probably be sitting at what. 12 trillion, or not sorry, by end of this year, by the time this cycle ends, 12 trillion. Oh, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yes. I mean, a cycle, cycles of six to seven years. I agree. The bottom was like the beginning of 2019. So to, 2025, something like that. Mm -hmm. 2024, five, six, something like that. Yeah. Yep. It seems insane to think that it could keep going higher, but. Uh, I think if it's rising at six or seven percent, April will be fine with that. Depends on whether they got more interventions coming up, and yeah, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Um, now the next one. China's uh, developers again. I think John and I, you know, we touched on Evergrande probably a few episodes back, and you guys as well. I'm pretty sure uh, we did. Talked about Evergrande has some defaults, and uh, I think this week. There's been more news from the Chinese developers, second tier and third tier this time, poses a risk that they are also defaulting. They cannot pay their bills or they cannot pay their repayments, their loans again. So just because they're, they're massing so much debt. Um, and I know previously that Chinese government is not going to bail Evergrande out. Certainly, if they're not going to bail the top tier one players, they're not going to bail the second and third tier type of developers there. That's for sure. So how does that, how does that potentially impact the property and the stability of our, of our financial system? This is a really interesting one. Um, this is something to be watched off very carefully over the next 
few months. Um, depending upon how how China uh, Chinese Communist Communist Party bails out all these uh, developers and the banks, that will be the thing to watch for. Um, Australia, obviously, there's a famous saying: when China sneezes, Australia catches cold. So this is literally that situation that we are in. Um, it's not only posing a risk to the Australian property market, it's posing a risk to the Australian GDP with the iron and steel exports. It's posing a risk to the super innovation system. We are exposed in all ways, shapes and form to this ever grand situation, right? Um, how it's going to impact and how uh, it will be tackled, I think is going to be uh, very interesting to watch both by Chinese Communist Party and the Australian government. I remember uh, saying that my sense was that this was not going to be a Lehman moment because we're dealing with that deals with um, physical real estate, you know, property development, tangible goods that can be valued and written down versus Lehman Brothers, which was dealing with sort of financial assets, smoke and mirrors, derivatives of you know, derivatives of derivatives and CDOs and stuff like that. So I've actually, I'm actually kind of reining that optimism in a little bit. I think that this could be a lot more serious. I think, you know, others are right and I was wrong on this. So we'll see. What happened this week is um, that uh, some second and third tier property developers, also big ones, have run into problems. So one in particular called Fantasia has about $200 billion worth of debt uh, and that it couldn't make a repayment on a um, on a bond, uh, and that happened on I think Wednesday. Now, bearing in mind uh, Evergrande's three hundred billion dollars worth of debt, uh, unable to make some interest repayments there, and and what it, what it suggests is that a lot of what we perceived to be growth in China over the last fifteen years, a lot of it was real. I mean, manufacturing and so on, and a lot of it was malinvestment um, and not real. You know, and um, and if you're building cities for 80 million people that no one's living in, I mean, 80 million people is the population of Germany, right? So if you're building a ghost town the size of Germany, you've you've got you've got a lot of malinvestment there, and that that's someone's going to have to take a bath on that, right? That that's that's a big error. Um, so China's growth over the last 15 years has been built on some malinvestment and a lot of debt, and it's like putting a 30,000 or, you know, spending $10,000 to put a kitchen in your house and then valuing that as $30,000 or, you know, saying it's increased the value by $30,000. hasn't really. So it's really one to watch. The way it'll impact us, I think, Jazz, you've said it, it's through the banking system uh, and, and through our superannuation. But it always depends on the contagion. So what else? what else is lurking out there? that represents malinvestment that some bank has to take a, a bath on. You know, when you hear American uh, economic commentators talking about Evergrande, they say something like, you know, our exposure to Evergrande, our exposure as in we Americans, our exposure is pretty limited, but the Australians are going to suffer. And, and because we're in the region, it's our biggest trading partner, but also we have, you, you know, a big, exp yeah, there's some exposure to, it through our pensions and so on. What does it mean if China's property market's about to take a crash? I mean, it can't not affect us. Mm -hmm. So it's it's one to watch. Yeah, it's one to watch. I probably understated the uh, the impact here, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. 
it's definitely one to be watched. Everything that we say on this podcast about being bullish about the Australian property market, uh, there's a big caveat to that, and that is this ever one single evergreen news, right? So it can change the game, um, not just in Australia. Australia is obviously heavily dependent, but throughout the world, we could see impact on Europe. We could see impact on US, uh, depending upon how they intervene and what the response is from other countries, basically. Hard yeah. to now, look, the Chinese property market and the Australian property market is very different. There's uh, like the Australian property market in terms of just ownership and laws is a very high trust market. It's it's where capital flees to, whereas the Chinese market, it's a, it's a leasehold market. You, you, there's no freehold investing. It's highly regulated, blah, 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 blah. So it's a market where capital flees from. And so they're not, they're not necessarily identical, certainly, but, but it's the same asset class and it's a, um, it may, maybe it doesn't mirror, but it rhymes. So an Anglo-Saxon legal system is different from a Chinese legal system, and, and that's going to matter when, it, when things get bad. But I think that there's enough there to be worried about. Mm-hmm. Well, there's two big things that Australia has, property and mining, right? In this case, they both can have a serious impact. It's that simple. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, actually, you, you know, sorry, you, you're right. Uh, the, the price of BHP in Rio Tinto has gone down ever since Evergrande mm-hmm. news has been emerging. So, yeah, it, what, what, it, what impact does this have to overall Chinese wealth? Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. This, well, this one, sorry, just before we jump on this, yeah. one thing can change the whole game, right? So uh, everyone listening to this should be following this, following this news very, very closely. I think. Oh, we'll make sure we give uh, them for updates in the in the coming weeks. That's for sure. So mm-hmm. it's not gonna not gonna miss the radar. So good. All right. Well, that's a. Uh, I think that's pretty much it from property perspective. Let's talk a bit about commodities this week. Oil and natural gas are the two highlights. Um, and I think John, do you want to touch on that in terms of? Uh, we're seeing some crazy spikes at the moment across multiple assets, not just commodities, crypto as well, which Jazz will get to you later on, but a bit mm-hmm. later. But uh, yeah, let's, let's touch on a bit about oil and natural gas and what's been happening there. Yeah, the, I mean, the, the most exciting part of the commodity market right now is the energy sector. Um, there's been there, there's a lot of rotations going on. Um, the market's trying to figure out what the energy source of the future is. And so it's, it seems to be experimenting uh, between, let's say, traditional forms of energy like coal and natural gas um, to things like solar and nuclear. We, we mentioned nuclear popped about six weeks ago. So nuclear, uh, so uranium's on a tear. But uh, nat- natural gas um, looks like one of the biggest hockey sticks I've ever seen. The natural gas chart looks like a Bitcoin chart from the year like 2005 or something like that. So it's gone, it's gone straight up. Now, natural gas isn't the bellwether signal that, say, crude oil is. But it's interesting um, to see natural gas absolutely pump. And now part of that is, is going to be demand. Part of it is going to be supply shocks. So we, we've royally screwed ourselves up with just being able to deliver goods and services around the world. Um, there are so many supply shops and I, uh, shocks. I heard, a, I heard a, um, an, an analyst in the U.S., uh, saying that there are, in the old days, all the um, cargo ships coming from China bobbing outside Los Angeles and San Francisco and California, waiting to, to be disembarked and, and all the goods imported into the US, 
if there was one ship waiting out there that was a massive inefficiency, it was a massive problem, one cargo ship. Now there are, at present, there are about 90 ships waiting to be let into um, Californian harbours to disembark and have the goods taken off because they can't find workers to do the stevedoring. You know, the supply shocks around the world uh, are insane. So that would not just affect getting goods off ships in California. It would would affect... um, Natural gas. Uh, So natural gas has gone up like a hockey stick. The other one to watch that we always say is crude oil. Crude oil is about to hit 80 bucks. Um, And it's going to, it's, look, in my humble opinion, it's the big signal in the economy, um, that plus the 10-year yield. So crude oil is about to hit 80 bucks. And don't forget a year ago or just over a year ago, it was negative. Um, And again, all these supply shocks getting the stuff out. So Oil is really important. My overarching thesis is this whole experiment in low interest rates and inflation and all that sort of stuff ends when oil hits $200 a barrel. So it's, got, it's going up super quick. It's a big feeder for inflation. Uh, and uh, keep your eye on the crude oil price. Um, in terms of other commodities, silver's doing badly. Gold's plodding along. Um, the charts all look good as though they will uh, break out, but it just, it just hasn't happened. But uh, Jazz, you're our chart guy. Maybe you can uh, talk to charts. Uh, so pretty much I agree to everything that John said. Uh, with the oil, I think oil is about to see its next run up clearly. I think it's, it's, it's ready. Uh, and any oil ETFs obviously will follow the oil chart more or less. So I won't be surprised if oil hits at least about, yeah. Did you say, John, 80 bucks? About 82 bucks, 80, 80, 84 bucks kind of thing. If right. we see oil hitting that level. So oil is clearly... Nearly 10%. Yep. Uh, so yeah, oil is looking good. And uh, just before... Uh, Regarding the natural gas, I think what we are seeing is overall just the rotation that is happening within these commodities. So we started with, I think from memory, it was lumber. uh, Well, gold was the one that started the whole process. Um, And then we saw lumber prices go crazy. Then we saw uranium in the last few weeks went up a lot. And now we are, I think, about to see the same thing. We saw this this week with natural gas. And I think we are uh, about to see that with other commodities like platinum, uh, oil uh, is the other one. So a lot of these commodities, I think it's just the rotation that's happening. So money is just flowing from one asset into the other asset. Um, and hence, we are seeing these crazy spikes, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, all these commodity prices are the best leading indicator for, for inflation we have. That said, we don't need any more proof there's inflation. I mean, you see it in the real estate market, you see it in at the grocery store, but um, what you dig out of the ground eventually becomes a finished good. And so um, it's a big it's a big leading indicator for inflation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for that update, mate. And uh, what about what about Bitcoin, Jazz? I think we're also seeing some pretty pretty astounding growth. Well, like any other asset class, I think uh, crypto is doing the exact same thing. Uh, and Bitcoin looks like is 
So up until last week, it wasn't clear whether we are headed north or south in terms of the crypto market overall. But I think if if you were to put a gun on my head right now and say that Q4 and Q1 are going to see some crazy run-ups in terms of prices in crypto space. So uh, I think I think it's looking very, very bullish. It's a raging bull market, in my opinion, in the crypto space over the next couple of months. Well, October is always the best month for, for Bitcoin, isn't it, historically? Say historically, it's been around since 2009, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's usually it's a good month, isn't it? Why is that? Uh, Why is October? I think a good it's month? just because uh, people in the US, it's the US market uh, that sort of uh, paves the way for it. Uh, people are back from their holidays, okay, and all that stuff. Yeah, Did, mm-hmm. didn't the US regulators come out and say essentially? I think it was Janet Yellen, and I think it was uh, the SEC. They were, they will essentially allow crypto. It's it's sort of the um, anti-China position right now, which China said they're going to ban all forms of crypto. I think the US is, US is a bit of a laggard in this space, actually, compared to its size. But I think that they're, they're going to allow and, 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 and regulate crypto. Yeah, well, it's all, US is already sort of regulating. We have discussed that in, even last week. It was when Jerome Paul announced that they have no intentions of banning crypto. So uh, that's why it's a very volatile market. And that's why you only put so much money into it, I guess. But having said all that, I mean, even though that the trend is showing an upward trajectory, there is that Evergrande and the stock markets, uh, Evergrande and its impact on the stock market and crypto markets, I think. So there's 70% chance that we are headed upwards but that 30% I'll take more seriously than 70%, to be honest, uh, purely because of what's happening in China, in my opinion. So 70% chances that we'll see crypto markets head north, but 30% is to be taken very seriously. What does 2022 look like for crypto, do you think? So if we have a good run between now and, say, January, what's 2022 look like? Uh, look, I think Q4 and Q1 will be bullish and then we'll see a, a flush out in the system where all the leverage players, all the traders, they're going to get wrecked. Mm. Yeah. But Q4 and Q1, barring any negative news like Evergrande that could impact all asset classes, are looking good, I think. I've heard, I've heard, I have no expertise in this area at all, but I've heard the same sort of thing that, it, that we're about to, you know, by mid to late October, this thing's about to, to fly. It's going to go hard, maybe 100,000 by the end of the year. This is not financial advice. This is actually just rumors. Uh, but that 2022 is going to be a really tough year for crypto, that it's going to be a bad year. Yeah. But it all depends on where it kind of tops out and where it goes down to. But yeah. I think it's um, people get too crazy when they talk about Bitcoin. In general and all because uh, mm. the kind of numbers that we see in this space are a little harder to find in any other asset class but overall i think it's just following its trend um it's 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 following its cycle like property cycle or commodity cycle to some extent in the way i'm looking at it um 
I think there will be a lot of winners and there's going, there's going to be a lot of losers in this space in the next four to five months. So none of this is financial advice. Uh, this is just reading of what's happening in the markets and the charts. Uh, so Plus personal opinions. Uh, most of the most oh, yeah. of it is actually personal <laughs> opinions. Here's a, here's a guess. Here's a guess. And it might be the catalyst for a run-up between now and the, the end of the year. I think that it's possible that they announce the first crypto or Bitcoin ETF, um, which we know has sort of been simmering away, but that could definitely be announced in the next month, weeks, couple of months. Didn't we have and one that, already? I thought we have one already. Uh, that's in Canada. John is talking. Oh, okay. Okay. In the Sorry. Yeah, right, right, right. So I think that, that that could definitely be a big a big deal and maybe that's what gives it its next leg up. So that'll be one to watch. Yeah. I'll be still very, very cautious of what's happening with Evergreen. So uh, just don't go blind, I think. Uh, but it's looking good. It's looking positive. Awesome. All right. Anything else we want to cover, gents, today? Kali Minogue is coming back to Australia. You want a bit of a goss now, eh? <laughs> We have a new section about the goss of the week. <laughs> That's why you ought to jump in now. <laughs> Why is she coming back? Sorry, I haven't read that news yet. Um, Neither. I was just... I'm like, that should be the topic of the I week. might as well follow up and say, what, what? give us a bit more, Jazz. Come on. <laughs> you started it. <laughs> but I think, I think we have covered most of it. Uh, it's all... Pretty much, I'm amazed with how accurate we have been all together with some of this stuff. Uh, I think the only thing where we didn't hit the mark exactly the way we thought was probably gold market taking a leg higher this year. Yeah. But having said that, that's just timing factor. I think we are right on that as well. I think that's just the timing factor. But our overall... I think it's amazing how accurate we have been with some of this stuff that has happened in the last year or so, whether it's commodities, whether it's crypto, whether it's property mm-hmm. market. Like we have been to the point, which is good. You know, I always thought, and I, I don't think I ever verbalized this, but I'm going to tell you how wrong I was on gold. I thought gold would get to $3,000 by the end of this year. Um, and I'm just way off, just way it's It's got that beautiful cup and handle formation so it's ready to roll just hasn't done it yet so and it may not it may not you know a lot of people are saying that gold's peaked again so it's going to go down for another five years so just you know do your own research people um that these are just these are just opinions and i'm wrong about 50 percent of the time i think i think especially with what's happening with evergreen i am being more bullish on gold than ever now uh, after hearing that news uh but we'll see I, I think uh, it's just a it's it's I think crypto took the shine out of the gold and silver market for 2021, but yeah, uh, it's another rotation that will happen when it will happen. Overall, depends on whether there's any more negative news coming up from similar to Evergrande and that kind of stuff. So yeah, money's going to continue to flow towards crypto mm-hmm. and gold. Um, yep. Yeah. As a, as a bit of a safe harbor type of um, scenario. So, mm-hmm. well, to the listeners, like always, none of this is financial advice. Uh, please do your own research. We bunch of 
speculators over here uh, like to uh, talk about the financial markets, but do your own research, play safe, stay safe, and we will see you guys next Friday. John Jasonevich.